We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Chicago Bears select... Welcome to Picks for Polls, presented by The Bear Report. Your number one source for everything Chicago Bears draft news, analysis, scouting reports, and more. Presented by Blue Wire Pods. And now, making their way to the podium, Andrew Freeman and Usaid Koshal. Welcome to Picks for Polls, a Chicago Bears draft podcast presented by the Bear Report and Blue Wire Pods. My name is Andrew Freeman, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Usaid Koshal. We record this episode on a Tuesday here in the middle of June, June 13th, and um, it's a little, you know, cold and rainy out right now um, as we enter the summer months here, Usaid. Um, but the Bears, they have many mandatory uh, mini camp going on starting today. That's going to be going on for the next three days. So uh, before we get started on today's episode, you said, how are you doing? And uh, what are some of the things that we're looking forward to for the next few days of uh, mini camp? I am doing well. First off, you mentioned the cold and rainy weather. So I was at football camp this morning talking to our varsity defensive coordinator. And one of the things he said was, oh, it's perfect football weather. It feels like a uh, fall because last week was like, 80 to 95 degrees, which if you've ever been on AstroTurf, when it's as hot as it gets sometimes, I mean, it's (laughs) especially with like the layering and the surface that's underneath the actual turf. So it really takes a toll on your body, which is why I completely understand NFL players wanting to just get rid of the AstroTurf and go back to natural grass. But you know, I'm doing well. There's a lot going on here. The Bears are in mandatory minicamp between Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday this week. And then kind of begins that long six to seven week break until training camp begins. So in essence, summer vacation for NFL teams is literally right around the corner. Yeah, we are about to get to that uh, dead point of the offseason where yeah, I mean, there's not a lot going on in previous months, but at least we had free agency and the draft to talk about and um, some other storylines going on. You know, when we get to this time of the year, it can really get to the dog days of summer here where there's just not a lot to really discuss. So hopefully we get a lot of, uh, I, guess, I guess, a good amount of content from these mandatory practices. The media is expected to be there reporting on it all three days. So, you know, hopefully Zach, you know, from his time at, at a minicamp can – 
give us some nice insights on what is going on at Hell's Hall. But, you know, a couple of things that we wanted to go over today uh, before we talk about some 2024 draft topics um, was on minicamp here, you know, some of the competition is going to be going on and we'll focus on the offensive side of the ball here because the defense, I think, you know, there is going to be a lot of competition and we can get to that on a later episode probably, but offense, there are a couple of storylines here that we can kind of discuss. And first of all, how the offensive line is going to shake out, I think is going to be one of the major storylines of this offseason because we can kind of assume what the starting unit will look like where you have Braxton Jones at left tackle, Darnell right at right tackle. And then the interior, you know, it sounds like Nate Davis is going to stay at right guard, his natural right guard position. They're going to move Tevin over to left guard, Cody White here to center. But they have been rotating a lot of guys in and out of positions to kind of start the offseason process. Like it sounds like Lucas Patrick has gotten quite a few reps uh, starting at center as well alongside Whitehair. Uh, Jatari Carter has gotten some reps at center and guard. Um, so clearly the emphasis right now is that they are trying out a lot of guys at multiple spots here, which in my opinion, you say it can only be a good thing moving forward for this team. The versatility is always a really positive component. You look at where the Bears are at as a team. I mean, this is a club that dealt with so many different injuries last year. Between Cody Whitehair, Tevin Jenkins, Lucas Patrick, it's such a generic saying, nothing ever goes as planned in the NFL. So when you hear your number called up, you have to go ahead and be ready to perform. The reality for this coaching staff and this front office is that they emphasize versatility and athleticism to a point where they want multiple guys being able to play multiple spots. And for Chicago, one of the biggest names to keep an eye on over the next three days here throughout mandatory camp, but also heading into next month when training camp opens up is without a doubt going to be Braxton Jones. Because if you follow Bears fans on social media at all, you know that there's been debates about where Braxton Jones is at. Now, to be honest, for a fifth-round pick, we can acknowledge Braxton did surprise a lot of people last year starting every single game. It was unexpected that he would come in and he took the starting left tackle job as early as he did because when the Bears were figuring out their other four positions on the O-line, Braxton Jones was the one solid starter and the one surefire guy who two and a half weeks into training camp last year had locked things down. But this also brings into a bigger question as he does go into year two, which is how is he going to develop and progress? Because if he doesn't develop and progress and really take that next step and go from good to great left tackle, then what's going to happen is there's a very real possibility that we're going into 2024 and the Bears are looking to upgrade at that spot. Now, some people are going to say, well, you've got Darnell right, just move him over. The reality is that if you want to establish some sort of identity and level of consistency and continuity on the offensive line you need to stick guys at their more natural positions take for example Tevin Jenkins the previous regime drafted him in round two he was a top 20 prospect in the 2021 draft fell all the way to round two because of the back issues that he had and yet Tevin did play multiple different spots at Oklahoma State But at the end of the day, the film showed that he was just more natural of a player on the right side of the offensive line in terms of his footwork, his athleticism, how he was handling 
every single player that was coming his way. And so for Braxton, it's kind of the same thing in terms of keep him on the left side and see what he can do. If not, he's only going to have two years on his contract after this year. He's got a really cheap deal, so it'd be easy to keep him around as a depth piece, but also easy to upgrade, knowing the talent that's coming in 2024. Yeah, I think Tevin Jenkins is going to be really interesting to see how he handles switching over to the left side this this year because – he played at a very high level when he was healthy and on the field last year, especially as a run blocker, pass protection. You know, he still got some growth that is needed um, from that facet of the game. But the run blocking and the attitude that he brings is fantastic. So you pair that with Braxton Jones, who had a lot of success as a run blocker last year as well. That left side of the offensive line is going to be a strength of this team in terms of run blocking. Um, and they should be able to generate a lot of push on that side of the, of the offensive line um, in the run game. So I'm very excited to see that. But, you know, like you said, Tevin, he's played on the right side for the majority of his career. And I thought it was always stupid when uh, the last year of Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy, where they tried to make him a left tackle. I always felt like, you know, he, he was obviously much more comfortable playing on the right side. And I don't like the idea of having guys switch back and forth on you know, the offensive line like that like having the versatility is great and you want guys to work that out but if a guy's na- like a natural on one side of the ball like keep him at that spot and i think you know th- this was the dilemma that they were, they were going to run into anyway when they signed nate davis because nate davis he's played right guard his entire career um in, in the pros and i think he's played that his entire career in college too so it's not it's it's not just something where he he's played all over the offensive line and that's just happen to be where he played in the NFL. Like, no, he's a natural right guard as well. So I think this shows that this regime, they're not quite tied to Tevin Jenkins as a long-term piece still. I know this is something that's we talked about quite a bit on this podcast, but it just continues to show that, that, you know, they clearly emphasize bringing in Nate Davis to fill that right guard spot. And if Tevin breaks out at left guard, then that's going to be great for this offensive line moving forward. Cause if he's, it can be a long-term piece for this group, um, you know, with questions long-term at center, you have two tackles on rookie contracts here that, you know, are starter starters, you'd hope uh, with Braxton Jones and, and general, Wright. That kind of helps out the entire offensive line work itself out. So to me, that's going to be the biggest storyline this year is, you know, Tevin Jenkins, how does he adapt to being a left guard as opposed to a right guard? Um, because I know I because a lot of people want to talk about Cody Whitehair moving back to center. Honestly, like Cody Whitehair's been in this league for a long time. He's played center, he's played guard, he's played all over the place. Like I know what Cody Whitehair is at center, and I know he's pretty solid there for the most part. And anything, this move kind of helps Cody Whitehair because he keeps him out of pass protection one-on-ones at a higher rate. So he doesn't have to, you know, get exposed in pass protection as much, which is only a good thing because he's not very good at that right now at this stage in his career. So I'm all for that move, to be honest. Um, But moving on from the offensive line, though, running back is going to be another, I think, another position group that competition is going to be really interesting to follow because, you know, they signed Deontay Foreman to a one-year deal this offseason. He was coming off of a great season in Carolina. Well, yeah, he was coming off kind of a breakout year in Carolina where he got a lot of carries uh, when they traded away Christian McCaffrey, and he had a lot of success on those carries. Um, They also drafted Roshan Johnson in the fourth round as well, who myself and and among many others think can be a starter in the NFL. 
So you combine that with Khalil Herbert on the roster already, and they, they also signed Tra- they also signed Travis Homer as well for kind of like special teams and depth and whatnot. But how do we think the running back room is going to shake out? I think it's going to be something that's going to be very interesting to follow this offseason. Let's put it this way. Khalil Herbert opens up week one as the starter, and the Bears do use a running back by committee approach. But by the time we get to week five or six, we are looking at Roshan Johnson just absolutely taking over and being the running back one. And again, that's no shot at Khalil Herbert at all. But this is a regime that's clearly said we're going to put the best guys that give us a, a chance to win in their right positions. And guess what? Roshan Johnson brings the breakaway elements that not even a guy like David Montgomery had. Roshan has that breakaway speed, that element where he's essentially a home run hitter, which is going to be incredibly valuable because as good as the Bears were last season on the ground, you could argue that the best run of the entire year was probably from running backs, by the way, was Khalil Herbert's 64-yard run in that Thursday night game against the Washington Commanders, which, again, it was kind of a cutback, one-cut cutback run. But the point that I'm making here is that the backfield wasn't as explosive as it could have been last year. Now, part of that was also because David Montgomery is never really a home run hitter as valuable as he was to this team. Roshan Johnson brings that, and if the Bears can get explosive in the backfield, it's going to create all sorts of opportunities within the passing game. When we look at Dante Foreman and Travis Homer, I'll be honest, Travis Homer being the veteran that he is, is going to go ahead and just provide some depth on special teams and some solid value as a return guy. Dante Foreman is going to be the veteran that I liken him to way back in the day, Marion Barber or Chester Taylor, both of whom played for the Bears in the sense that, you know, you never really knew that they were going to be great starters for this team, but they were good enough situationally in those third and two, third and three situations where you decided to go ahead and run the ball, or they were really good in some of those red zone goal to go situations. So that's going to be the role of a guy like Dante Foreman. And quite frankly, this is a team and an offense that they don't need three running backs to rush for a thousand yards. They just need the running backs to combine for 13 to 1400 yards on the ground with the way that the offense is going to progress in terms of the pieces they've added in the passing game to really put together a solid product. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Yeah, the way I see this running back rotation uh, working itself out is that you kind of have a lot of different skill sets here to work with here, where I think um, Deontay Foreman, he's kind of like an early down bruiser type of running back who does have some explosiveness. And I think him and Khalil Herbert can rotate on a lot of early downs because Khalil Herbert just doesn't add anything as a receiver. And I think that's probably the biggest flaw in his game. But as a runner, he's one of the more explosive running backs in the NFL in terms of getting explosive runs. Um, we, we saw that last year where in this system where it's a lot of outside zone, it's a lot of getting um, to the outside of the tackle and then cutting up field. Khalil Herbert is a perfect fit for that one cut style of running. And I think, you know, when you add kind of that power element with Deontay Foreman, um, who does have some juice as well. And Roshan Johnson, who does have some juice as well. Um, you kind of had that inside-outside flexibility in your run game where you can run some inside zone with these guys. You can run some gap system runs uh, with these guys. And that kind of gives your running game, when you combine that with the fact that Justin Fields is an automatic, gives you an automatic numbers advantage because of his rushing threat and his rushing ability, that gives your run game a lot of dynamism i think and it makes your running game very versatile very flexible and very dangerous um and in terms of how they maximize all three of these guys like i think i feel like Dante foreman and clue herbert i do not expect them to get a ton of third down work because they're not receivers they're not great blockers but roshan johnson is a great pass blocker at the running back position and travis homer he was brought in to kind of bring a third down skill set as well, because he's very good in pass protection for running back and he can catch the ball on the backfield a little bit as well. So I, I would expect, you know, a lot of the early down work, especially early in the year uh, to go to Khalil Herbert and Deontay Foreman. But like you said, I think Roshan by the end of the year is going to establish himself, not as like the true bell cow back of this offense, because I do think they want to do a, uh, a running back by committee approach, which is, the smartest way to do it, in my opinion, just keeps these guys fresh uh, over the course of a 17 game season now. But I think Roshan Johnson will establish himself as the top back in this backfield by the, the end of the year. And I do expect him to get the bulk of touches uh, by the end of the season. And I mean, when you look at his skill set, you know, he doesn't have great top end speed. His 40 yard dash, I think he only ran like a four, five, eight, 40 or something like that. So he's, it's not. The, the top end speed where he's dangerous. It's that initial um, explosive, explosiveness, that initial 10 yard uh, burst, I should say five to 10 yard burst where Roshan Johnson is very good because he can get to top speed pretty quickly. Um, and then you combine that with his power and his ability to break tackles. And that just creates a dangerous combination for opposing defenses to have to defend. So I, I think that's probably, I think that's probably, you know, the best case scenario for this team is that they rotate these, rotate these guys early on. Khalil Herbert's your big play threat. Deontay Foreman is kind of your power back. And then Roshan kind of develops as that three down guy by the end of the year where he's getting in bulk of the carries. I think that's probably the best way to see it going forward. But these young guys, you know, Roshan Johnson, he's going to have to earn that this year because it's not going to be given to him. He's a fourth round pick. So as much as we like him, as I and I thought he was better than a fourth round pick as a talent in the draft, you know, he, he went in the fourth round for a reason. That's where the NFL saw him. Um, and he's going to have to earn these carries in training camp here. And it's it's tough in mini camp and training camp to earn, you know, carries or earn, yeah, earn touches for 
running backs because there's no tackling going on. It's it's tough tough to kind of judge these guys. So we might have to wait till preseason to see that all shake out. But there are some things that Roshan Johnson can do. I I think as a blocker and receiver that can kind of separate himself from the rest of the guys in the backfield here. But we'll see what happens throughout the course of mini camp and going into training camp. Um, but moving on from the Bears here, we do have to talk about some 2024 NFL draft topics. We've talked about a lot about uh, the 2023 NFL draft, and I think it's time to make that transition officially to previewing what to expect out of this 2024 class. Because you say tonight, we've both done some you know mock draft stuff and some preview stuff on the Bear Report in terms of some articles that we've written. I just came out with a first-round mock, which you can check out on the Bear Report Right now, I, I think you said you, you put out a first round a box for the Bears, I do believe, at least on, on Twitter, correct? Yeah, so yeah. I had put out, I think, yeah, it's been two mock drafts that I've put out since the end mm-hmm. of the 2023 draft. And let me just say some of the stuff that I've gotten based on where players are ranked, where players are drafted has been pretty intriguing to watch. But also I think the reaction the reaction from fans has been quite frankly overblown because every single ranking that is out there right now is incredibly preliminary to the point where even if you know a guy's going to go top five or top 10 next year, if that player falls to 12th overall in whatever mock draft machine you use it, I promise you right now, it's not the end of the world. Like that's just a computer generated algorithm to the point where you could see a player that is going to be in the fifth round next year, be pegged as a first round prospect right now. So there's so much discrepancy that exists. Yeah. If we were doing this last year and doing mock drafts last year, Devon Witherspoon would have been a day three pick, not a first round pick, not the first cornerback taken. And I would have laughed in your face if Jalen Carter went ninth overall in the draft because he was viewed as the t- a top two prospect in last year's draft. So, yeah, it's always important to take any rankings right now with a grain of salt because, for the most part, they're all wrong, really. It- it's what it comes down to. We have an entire season of college, f- college football. So I-, I think the whole point of these mock drafts, doing them now, is to kind of get a read on where these prospects are at, where they are viewed right now, and what the team needs are going to be uh, moving forward into the future. But in terms of you know getting a – a read on these on these prospects um we can start by you know previewing some of these positions going into next college football season and we can start with the quarterbacks here because you know as opposed to the last couple quarter quarterback draft classes um whereas you know this past year's draft was a pretty strong quarterback class where you had three quarterbacks go in the top four picks. Will Levis was viewed by many as a first round prospect for majority of the process. And then he ended up going in the second round. Um, But you look towards next year's draft class um, and it's looking like it's going to be another strong year for quarterbacks, both in terms of at the top of the draft. And then there are some intriguing guys in the lower echelon of these prospects where yeah, they they could sleep on us and they could, you know, rise throughout the upcoming college football season if they put it all together. Um, there are some intriguing players to talk about, but I think when we're talking about the quarterback class right now, there are two names that stick out that are I, I think for most evaluators are we feel pretty confident that they're gonna be going at the top of this draft, you know, in, at least in the top five. And that's gotta be 
Caleb Williams and Drake May out of USC and North Carolina, respectively. We talked about Caleb Williams, I think, on this podcast before, um, but it goes to show, but we should say that Caleb Williams, he was awesome last year for USC. And I don't, I don't know where I have him ranked right now in terms of historically, in terms of quarterback prospects I've evaluated, but there are a lot of evaluators who, who out there who kind of put him in the class of, well, not, not quite in the class of Trevor Lawrence, but in that class of, you know, Joe Burrow as a prospect and, and some of these other highly touted guys that have come out in recent years. So when you're looking at Caleb Williams, uh, you said, what are some of the things that kind of stand out to you in terms of projecting his game to the next level? Projecting his game to the next level. Now, Caleb Williams is, I want to say, the if we compare the 22-23 and then the eventual 24 draft classes, the three-year window, Caleb Williams would be the top quarterback prospect in any of the classes. And it's not just because he's playing with Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma and then followed Lincoln over to USC, but what you're getting in Caleb Williams is just a really dynamic athlete. And what I mean by that is that he's not your prototypical quarterback quarterback in the sense that he's going to go ahead and he's going to sit back there and wait for something to go ahead and open up. No, you're getting a guy who is about six foot one, six two, 220 pounds. So really a much bigger quarterback prospect. And he loves to use that big size and athleticism to his advantage. One term that I have used consistently to describe Caleb is just a natural playmaker in the sense that no task seems to be too big for him. No task seems to be too small either. He is always just so cool, calm, composed, and really poised and takes everything one step at a time. So this is a prospect that he is checking every single box for me in terms of really good mechanics, got a really good arm as well. The mental aspect of the game, he's able to read defenses with ease. There's always going to be an adjustment for quarterbacks moving from the college level to the next NFL level. But Caleb Williams is about as good as it gets in terms of just a solid, well-rounded prospect. And if I look at his projection, he doesn't have the, I would say this, is that he can definitely be a guy like a Joe Burrow or a Justin Herbert when he's at his best, but at his worst, it's kind of hard to find a comparison for him right now. But I will say you're probably looking at a slightly better version of a guy like a Tua Tagovailoa. Yeah, I, I think, you know, with Williams, just to put some perspective on um, what he's done production wise at USC, you know, he started off in Oklahoma in 2021 as a freshman and he played behind uh, uh, Spencer Rattler that year, but ended up taking over in mid season and had a pretty solid year. But when he went over with Lincoln Riley to USC this past season, he really took off. I mean, he had 40 over 4,500 yards passing 42 touchdowns, only five interceptions um, all while averaging, over nine yards per attempt. So, I mean, again, that's part of that Lincoln Riley offense where this is going to juice your numbers a little bit with that spread system. He did have some good weapons to throw to Jordan Addison, who was a first round pick in this year's draft. So you got to keep that stuff in mind. But what really stands out for me for Williams is that, you know, a lot of these NFL teams, they've been looking so hard for the next Patrick Mahomes, so to speak. And while I wouldn't say Williams is on that level, 
uh, as Mahomes as a playmaker. He does have similar play style tendencies in terms of the off structure stuff, getting outside the pocket, breaking tackles within the pocket and just being tough to sack. And then being able to make just ridiculous throws off balance on the move, you know, side, you know, sidearm throws across his body, whatever you want to look at here. Like Caleb Williams has every single throw in his bag for that quarterback position as a playmaker. So I think what I want to see Williams get better at throughout the season is playing better within structure. And this is something that makes Patrick Mahomes so deadly because yeah, we get caught up in all the stuff that Mahomes does off script and all of the ridiculous playmaking that he does um, when the play breaks down. But what makes Mahomes so dangerous as a quarterback, what makes him the best quarterback in the NFL today is that he is ridiculously good in structure as well. So it's not just, you know, when a play breaks down, can you go out there and get a bucket, so to speak? It's, you know, can you process the defense before the snap, make the right reads, make the right checks. And then off of that pre-snap foundation, what's your decision-making and processing upon the snap within the structure of the offense? Patrick Mahomes has that. I'm not sure if Caleb Williams is quite there as of yet. And this is kind of like a directly contradicts him or juxtaposes him to the next quarterback um, who's considered to be close to Caleb Williams in, in terms of these prospect rankings. And that's Drake may who Drake may does have some ability to play outside the pocket, but he is better as opposed to Williams inside the pocket where he does have that ability to process and, um, read the field pre-snap and then make reads post-snap. Um, May, he also has a really good arm and athleticism as well. And I think what separates these two is that, you know, Williams, he's a bit on the smaller side for quarterback. He's not Bryce Young small. Like, don't don't, don't get that twisted there. But um, Drake May is kind of like that prototype where he's six foot four, he's 225, good arm, good athlete. Um, his accuracy, I feel like, comes and goes, but um, – he does have the ability like Williams to make big time throws um, throughout the course of a game. So when you're looking at may, you said, you know, what are some of the things that stand out to you going into this upcoming year? I mean, let me just take a step back and say the Caleb Williams to Patrick Mahomes comparisons coming out of college are certainly overblown because no one knew that Patrick Mahomes was going to develop into what he was going to develop into. And let's just be honest, that 2017 class, I mean, the highest graded quarterback was in fact Sean Watson, just based on what guys had done in college. And then the projections for Mahomes and Mitch Trubisky were really all over the place. But looking at Drake May, there is a lot to love. You're right. He's not as big. I'm sorry. He's bigger than Caleb Williams. And again, I know a couple minutes ago I talked about how Caleb Williams was 6'1", 220. Well, let's be honest. Caleb has the tendency to play bigger than he really is, which, again, is really a positive thing. But with Drake May, you're getting a electric playmaker and you're getting the type of guy that is going to go ahead and can kind of be your prototypical pocket passer. But also when you ask him to roll out and extend plays and really make the magic happen with his legs, he's shown that he's very comfortable doing that as well. Now the big fear in terms of may is what is his arm going to do for him at the next level, knowing that it's going to impact his accuracy because in college, what happens is you as a, 
dynamic athlete and playmaker, you can certainly take over games yourself with your legs. But at the NFL level, your arms need to make the major difference. And you have to be able to kind of throw it up and really be accurate. Otherwise, you're going to be in a situation where you're kind of limiting the talent around you because you are going to force your team to look for guys that have really big catch radiuses. And so for Drake Mike, I mean, getting the accuracy on point and really just being able to sit back there in the pocket and complete those short to easy intermediate throws is what will ultimately make the major difference for him. And again, the biggest advantage of him slowing the game down and completing those short to intermediate throws, the kind of easy, just give them to me. I'm taking what the defense is giving me, not necessarily those what a lot of people love to turn checkdowns is that you are showing that, yeah, you can slow the game down, you can play at a level, and that your mental processing has also gotten much faster. So for Drake going into this coming season, it's just a matter of how he develops as a passer is going to ultimately lead to where he tends to project at the next level in terms of being a top three or being a guy who is mid to late first round. Yeah, I expect this upcoming year to feature quite a bit of those talks about who's going to be going first between Williams and Drake May. But there are some other intriguing quarterbacks in this in this draft class as well that I think could go in the first round. And a couple that I'll point out here, um, you know, Michael Penix Jr. out of Washington, a guy who started off at Indiana, um, really was an unheralded guy because you know, he's, he's battled some injuries throughout his college career and he's battled some inconsistency, but you know, he, he put it all together last year for Washington and his first year there, he had over 4,600 yards passing um, th- this past season in Washington, which actually led all power five conferences last year. So you know, he's going to be 24 years old um, going into his eventual draft year. So that's going to be something that a lot of teams may be turned off by, especially when you factor in the injury history. But, you know, as, as far as pocket passers go, he's got to be up there among the quarterbacks in this draft class. And then some other guys that I think makes a lot of sense um, as potential first round picks Quinn Ewers out of Texas. You know, this is a guy that was hyped up quite a bit going into his college career because he's a highly touted recruit. And the expectation was for him at Texas to really um, be a difference maker for that program. And, you know, his first year at Texas had its ups and downs. You know, if you want to look at the high end performances for him, you know, his game against Alabama, where he did not play the entire game because he got injured midway through. But for the first quarter or so that he was in the game, he looked like a guy who was going to be a future top five pick. But it seemed like once he got back from injury, you know, he just he wasn't really the same after that. Um, and I don't know if that was he was dealing with that shoulder injury the entire year where that kind of messed with his accuracy. But accuracy to me was what stuck out for years that he's just not quite there yet from that in decision making. But the talent is there. And then speaking of another guy where the guy has talent but has struggled with inconsistency throughout his career, Bo Nix from Oregon, you know, you it's funny. This time last year, I would not have considered Bo Nix whatsoever to be anywhere near close to a first round draft prospect because he started off his career at Auburn and he just he was bad for the most part at Auburn. But he goes to Oregon where he's got a better structure around him, you know, a better situation to um, develop, I think. And he really had a strong season last year, um, showed some of the high end talent that he does have in terms of his athleticism 
and his arm talent ability. So those are kind of the three guys right now that I think have the best chance of being other first round picks besides the top two out of those three guys, you said, um, you know, what are some of your takeaways on those guys going into this upcoming season? To be honest with you, Quinn Ewers, as highly touted as of a recruit as he is, I would argue that Quinn needs another really, or I would say probably two more really good years in college to establish who he is. And again, he's still young going into, I believe, his sophomore season. So even if he decides, hey, I want to declare after my junior year, that is completely okay. He, to me right now, is on track, though, to be first-round pick in 2025. Looking at some of the other guys you mentioned, Michael Penix Jr., he is going to be the player that is all over the place in terms of projections. And what I mean by that is you are going to have some people ranking him very similar to being a first round pick, very similar to a guy like a Mac Jones, for example, and say, yeah, he's definitely a top five guy. You are going to have some people say, well, he's not necessarily top five for me. He's borderline top five, but I would argue that he is more so the kind of player who needs to be a mid to late first round pick, probably even slip into the second round, just because with Michael Penix Jr., knowing his skill set, there is a lot of refinement that needs to take take place in terms of just his mechanics and how he plays the quarterback position. Bo Nix is the guy who, again, went to Auburn, really struggled, popped off this past season at Oregon. A lot of that was due to the structure that they had around him and just how they simplified the system to fit everything that he needed to go ahead and do. So for Bo Nix, he is a guy right now that I would say probably have a third or fourth round grade on. And again, none of these grades are finalized at all. It's just super early, but Bonix to me right now is looking like a late day two, early day three guy. If he puts it all together, the potential of him making the jump into the first round is certainly there, but he would have to come out and have one of the best college seasons ever and make a significant leap. And then one other guy who, continues to fly under the radar and has found ways to be productive given the system that he plays in and the coaching staff that he plays for would be Michigan's JJ McCarthy. Again, he's a guy who looking at JJ, I don't see him being a franchise quarterback, but definitely the type of player that you could go ahead and roll the dice on and see what happens. Now, ultimately with JJ McCarthy, it's like I said, I mean, he's never going to be the guy who ends up being a true franchise quarterback. He would have to get really lucky for that to happen, but he can be good enough to where he's a serviceable starter. Yeah, I think the thing for a lot of these other guys, and this is the case for many quarterback classes here, but you know, a lot of these guys have really good traits, but they just haven't quite put it all together to where you feel like the consistency is there on a down to down game to game basis. Like Penix, he's probably has shown the most ability to put it all together as a player. But I also think he has the lowest ceiling of any of these guys that we talked about here, just because, you know, he, he doesn't really have any ability to make plays off script. You know, he's got average size. The arm is pretty solid, pretty good accuracy, but it's nothing special in my opinion. In many ways, you brought two, to the two accounts before. He like looks because he's left-handed. He, he looks almost like a clone of Tua Tungo Varloa at times. And I, I hate to make that 
lazy comparison there, but that was like the first thing I, I saw when I was going to watch him play. I think he has a stronger arm than Tua, so that's probably the biggest differentiator. differentiator. But both guys where they rely on you know timing and accuracy in the pocket um, instead of you know being able to make plays on the move and whatnot. But you look at you know Ewers and Knicks and McCarthy and and some of these other guys in this class. A lot of these guys have good physical traits that you can build off of, but it's just the reason why Caleb Williams and Drake may are, are considered to be a tier above these guys is that they have those physical tools that we've talked about, but they've also put together at the college level to where they've shown really good, consistent tape that reflects well when translating to the next level in the NFL game. So I think that's going to be something that is going to remains to be seen, whether any of these guys can take that step forward. I, I think Ewers, he's going into a situ- situation at Texas where, you know, there's going to be no more Bijan to, to hand the ball off to in that running game. They're going to have to do a lot more passing the ball this year and rely on him as a passer more. So how he responds to that is going to be key. And then next, you know, it remains to be, to be seen whether last year was a one-year wonder for him because we have three years of tape at Auburn where it's not very good. So uh, Nix is going to have to answer that question, I think, is was he just a one-year wonder going from – you know, that system to another system or, you know, can he put it all together once again and take another step forward? I think it's going to be key for him going into this next season. So for our last topic here, as we wrap it up for today's podcast, um, we talked about some mock drafts before that we've done throughout this offseason period. And, you know, one of the main question marks I think that a lot of Bears fans have is, you know, what are the Bears going to do with their two first round picks? Because, you know, it feels odd, you say, that the Bears are in a situation where they have multiple first-round picks, especially uh, when you look at the last few years of the Ryan Pace era. It was, like, very rare for them to even have a first-round pick because they kept on trading them away, it seems like. Um, but um, to have two first-round picks, that gives the Bears a lot of options. And right now, I, we don't know where they're going to be at, obviously, because we haven't played this upcoming season yet. But I would assume that they're going to be decently high. Um, because I don't see the Panthers being very good. And I think the Bears are probably a year away from being, you know, a playoff, uh, for sure, a playoff lock um, when you look at the rest of the state of the NFC right now. But in terms of how you would handle having two first-round picks, you said, you know, what are some of your thoughts um, on what the Bears should be doing with those picks? This is one of the debates that is going to be taking place when we keep an eye on the Carolina Panthers season and just throughout the regular season. So we figured why not get it kicked off super early here at the Picks for Pulse podcast. But you for sure know you're going to need an edge rusher. And again, I'm not saying that things can't change for the Bears between now and next April, but you need to figure out who that long-term edge rusher is going to be for your team. Look at all the really good teams that have kind of been to the Super Bowl over the last couple of years, the 49ers, the Chiefs, the Philadelphia Eagles. Well, they at some point have taken and addressed the defensive line in the first round and they just keep adding and adding talent to it so edge rusher is going to be one of the surefire picks even if the bears at some point over the next 10 to 14 weeks decide hey between now and the regular season we are going to get an edge rusher on the roster getting another one would not be a bad idea at all because as we talked about last week i mean jared verse florida state dallas turner 
from Alabama, JT Tolomolu, Ohio State. Those are three of the best names to watch for the upcoming college season. Now, that's one pick. The second pick, you have a bit more flexibility in terms of what you decide to do because you could very well decide that we're going to trade out of this other first-round pick and acquire more day two as well as day three draft capital. You could also acquire some 2025 draft capital, which quite frankly the Bears are going to need because there is going to be some talent that is subtracted from this roster going into the 2025 offseason. And if we want to keep this team young, it's not going to be through signing free agents. It's going to be through continuously drafting and developing talent, which the Bears have three top 100, well, four top 100 picks right now in 2025 too because they've got their own first-round pick, their own second and third-round pick, and then the Panthers' second-round pick too. But with that second first-round pick, I am really looking for, if you don't trade out, adding a dynamic playmaker or even adding to the offensive line, which is where my obsession with Notre Dame's Joe All and Penn State's Olu Fashanu come into play because those guys at this point would be bookend left tackles for you. But also, I would say this that you could use that 2024 first rounder to possibly double down and add to the defense again and just solidify your front seven because Michael Hall from Ohio State is one of the more underrated prospects that. He's going to be a first-rounder next year that we are not necessarily talking about. And another personal favorite of mine would be Alabama's offensive lineman, J.C. Latham. Again, another guy who's going to be around one pick next year, but just is not being talked about enough. And then the wild card in all of this is Brock Bowers from Georgia for me. Because if he slips, which he's probably going to be one of the highest drafted tight ends ever. Certainly highest drafted since Kyle Pitts went eighth overall in, well, the first round in 2021. I would say that Brock Bowers would be an absolute monster in this Bears offense next to a guy like Darnell Mooney, as well as DJ Moore. You would have so much explosiveness and athleticism that would make Justin Fields' life so much easier. I would love Brock Bowers in this Bears offense. So I'll get to that in a little bit because I do think touching on the obvious need, the Bears do need to address edge rusher, I think, with one of these first round picks. And next year does have a pretty strong edge class. We are going to get to that edge class, I think, um, within the next few episodes or so um, as we go along in the summer here. But it is a pretty strong edge class. I would definitely address one of those first round picks with an edge rusher. And I'm always a proponent of trading down. I think if you can trade down and get more, you know, picks not only for the 2024 draft, but 2025 as well, and give yourself more ability to have that long-term stability of your team. um, That's always a smart thing to do in my opinion, Um, because I mean, yeah, they're in a great cap situation right now with a lot of money to spend, not only this year to roll over into next year and then, going into the future after that, but eventually they're going to have to make a decision on paying Justin Fields. And once you make that decision to pay Justin Fields with how much these quarterbacks are making right now, that does limit the flexibility that you give yourself to address needs on the rest of the roster with what money you can spend. So having a lot of draft picks definitely helps you uh, in terms of building around a quarterback who's on a big contract. And we're assuming that Justin Fields is going to get that big contract from the bears. I I would certainly hope that's the case. And if that ends up happening, like you need to have more draft picks to kind of, you know, 
replenish the rest of the roster here because it's a young man, young man's game, you know, with, with football, you want to have young guys constantly uh, building up on this roster here. And also just to add more depth to the roster as well. But I would be remiss to say that um, I am very intrigued by the idea of adding a Marvin Harrison jr. Or Brock Bowers to this bears offense. And I feel like the only way to make that happen, unless the bears or Panthers end up just being a disaster this year where you're picking high anyway, but you know, right now a lot of projections have both of those teams around like late top 10, early teens um, from a draft pick standpoint, which I think is more than fair based off of where both teams are at. And if, both those picks are in that situation. I honestly would not be opposed to maybe trading up into the top five to get one of those two guys when they get Marvin Harrison or Brock Bowers, because I think both of those players are special talents. And you look at the, the receiver position for the Bears, like, yeah, you got DJ Moore locked down long term, but both Darnell Mooney and Chase Claypool are free agents after this year. You're probably not paying both of them. Um, and if you end up having to let one of them go, you still need another weapon. Um, at that wide receiver spot to have three really good off, uh, options for your offense there. And Marvin Harrison with DJ Moore, and I would assume Darnell Moody would just be unfair, I think, in my opinion, for opposing defenses that have to guard. And same goes for Brock Bowers. Like, I'm assuming that they're going to work out an extension for Cole Komet, but he's going into the final year of his contract as well. So tight end is still, you know, a position that can be a long-term need for them. Brock Bowers is like the perfect fit alongside an inline guy like Cole Komet because, you know, Brock Bowers, he's not an inline tight end. He's more of a receiver playing tight end. And Georgia does a lot of creative stuff to get Brock, Brock Bowers the ball in terms of jet sweeps and handoffs and uh, reverses. And he's like, a he's not a, a traditional tight end. He's an offensive weapon. And to add that guy to this unit where you can run then a lot of 12 personnel stuff, on your offense and that helps out your run game a little bit. I think because of that flexibility there, like, I don't know, I'm so intrigued by adding one of those two players to this team. And I think both of those guys are just elite, elite prospects going into this next draft. Like I, I would honestly, I, I, I think, you know, Ryan Poles, I, I, I would really respect him to be aggressive in that situation to add a player like that to this team. And they could go offensive line in my opinion, it remains to be seen whether Braxton Jones can put it all together at left tackle. If Braxton Jones puts it all together this year, I'm fine with him being the long-term left tackle. You have Donald Wright on the right side. Let those guys develop a little bit. I'm fine with that. But adding another splashy weapon to make this offense just get to that next level as a, as a team, that would be huge in my opinion, along with an edge rusher. Um, so with that said, I think that's a good time to wrap it up for this episode, though. Um, so for all, all of our listeners out there, um, we appreciate you guys listening for today's episode. Make sure to like, rate, subscribe, review our podcast and all podcasting platforms here at the Bear Report and the Blue Wire. Uh, make sure to follow us on social media as well at Picks for Polls on Twitter. You say, where can our listeners find your work and uh, find you on social media? You guys can find my work on the Bear Report website. You can also go ahead and follow me on Twitter at Usaid Koshal. I post some daily content on the bears in terms of positional breakdowns, as well as just general thoughts and analysis regarding your favorite football team. Absolutely. 
Uh, make sure to give Usain a follow there and check out his work on the Bearboard. As for me, you can follow me on Twitter at AJFreeman25. You can find my work on the Bear Report as well. And um, as far as the summer is going to go, I think next week we're going to be covering some of the storylines that come out of the next few days of minicamp. We'll see if there's any really worth talking about, but we're going to be digging into uh, the 2024 draft class moving forward here. We talked about quarterbacks today, but I think, you know, getting into the wide receivers, the edge rushers, the offensive line, defensive line, all that stuff is going to be um, key for us over the next few weeks or so leading up to the college football season. So until next time, Bears fans, have yourself a great rest of your week and bear down.